0: When you became a Christian, I freaked out. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I was scared. Um, and I felt like that I needed to, uh, to save you. And so I decided to set out to prove this was all a big con. And so that's what I've been doing all this time. I just had to prove this whole thing wrong. evidence for your faith it's more overwhelming than I could have ever imagined but it wasn't just the evidence okay it was you you never stopped loving me you never gave up on me of that God didn't either oh (laughs) what I mean I don't I don't think God gave up on you either but what what are you saying Uh, (laughs) I can't even fathom what I'm going to say this without that (laughs) I believe Become children of God mm-hmm. to those who believe in his name and what does that mean <laughs> means believe plus receive equals What do I, what's the protocol for uh, for that? There's no wrong way or right way. Just you. You talk to God. Mm -hmm. You tell him your heart. Mm -hmm. And and we do that right now. I mean, shouldn't we go to church? Mm -mm, mm -mm.
1: (laughs) Right here, right now. This is church. Okay.
0: I know enough and I believe it. I believe you. And I'm sorry for what I've what I put my wife through. Um, what I put my family through. Uh, but I believe you're real. And I don't know what comes next. I don't know i don't know what it means i just know that i want i want that i want i want whatever's next i want that so let's do that
1: a clip from the uh, movie The Case for Christ, which is a true story about an atheist, Lee Strobel, whose wife becomes a Christian and turns his world upside down, and he decides to use his uh, skills as an investigative reporter to try to disprove Christianity, and instead, as you saw, he come to a very different conclusion. He not only believed that Jesus Christ had been raised to life, but he received the life that Jesus came to offer him. And the scripture that Leslie used there in the in this clip is found in John 1:12. Uh this is a different version than she read, but it's to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become a children of God. To believe plus receive is to become, to become a child of God. It's not enough just to, to believe in a God, some kind of a God, but to receive the life Jesus came to give us through his death and resurrection. And last week, we talked about some barriers to that, that uh, to getting to that place where we saw Lee Strobel get this morning. And we looked at four sticking points to becoming a child of God. And this week, as we continue to investigate the case for Christ, We're going to look at a claim that Jesus made that was more than a sticking point. It's a stumbling block for many. And some would say it's the most offensive thing that Jesus said. It's found in John 14. This is just before Jesus' crucifixion, on the night before he uh, died. And he's speaking to his disciples, and he wants to comfort them, to let them know not to be afraid, to not lose heart. So he told them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you'll always be where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Thomas said. We don't have any idea where you're going. How can we know the way? And here it comes. Listen to Jesus' answer to Thomas. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus is making these, uh, in these words, Jesus is making three claims about who he is. And in our culture, which values diversity inclusiveness, which is a good thing, but can get in the way and block us from hearing what Jesus is saying here, uh, some people see these claims as arrogant or exclusive. And what we're going to do today is to go through each of these and to show that these claims are actually, in these claims, Jesus is actually uh, extending an invitation to life. And it's an invitation to all people. Uh, And if you're already a Christian, already a follower, I would just encourage you to listen to these things so that you know and have an answer that you can speak truthfully into people's lives. And I emphasize this speak truth, truth, truthfully because you can't talk about God's love in a non-loving way, all right? So, so uh, some, but you need to know the, the reasons for your faith. So the first claim that Jesus makes here is that Jesus is the way. And um, this is probably the claim that people who aren't followers of Jesus Christ find most difficult to tolerate. If Jesus had said, I am a way to God, Uh, then that would be perfectly acceptable. But Jesus claims that he is the way. And then, in case we missed the meaning of it, he adds, No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. So what is Jesus saying when he says he is the way? If I say to you, "Come Come with me, I know the way, what is the question that springs to your mind? where the way to to what to where right uh the 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 way to what the the very statement implies a destination doesn't it if i say to you get in the car i know the way and you get in the car without asking that question you don't know if you're ending up at binder park zoo or a restaurant in kentucky You just don't know. And by the way, if I say I know the way, don't get in the car. (laughs) Because I am the most directionally impaired person you will ever meet. But when Jesus says, I am the way, the logical question then is to what? And as we look at this passage of scripture in John 14, we see that there are two primary destinations that Jesus is saying that he is the way to reach. In the first, he's claiming to be the way to reach eternal life, to an eternal home. He says, I'm, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. No, we don't know, Thomas says, how can we know? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I am the way. He's saying, I am the way to this heavenly place, this, this eternal home. And then the second claim Jesus is making is that he's the way to have a relationship with God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is claiming that he is the way to have a relationship with God and a home with God forever. And as I said earlier, this can sound exclusive or arrogant. And you hear people say things like, um, don't all religions lead to God? Well, if you do a little research, the answer to that question is no. And they don't even claim to. You know, they're not trying to. Um, the God of the Bible isn't the destination for many religions. Uh, the goal of Buddhism, for example, is nirvana. Nirvana means to blow out, to extinguish the goal of Buddhism is an emptiness, to, to disappear, to be free of suffering and this cycle of birth and rebirth, right? Reincarnation. To be like a drop of water that falls into the ocean and disappears into a cosmic singularity. Their goal is not to uh, find God. The goal of Islam is, is really paradise, a, a place of emotional well being, physical well being, and sexual pleasure. Uh, Allah is rarely mentioned in the Quran in regards to the afterlife. And even the belief systems like Islam and other religions like Hinduism that claim to have a pathway to God, the, the way to God is good works. You earn your way to God. Christianity is the only religion that says the way to eternal life is not through what you do, but what has already been done for you. And that means unlike every other religion, you don't have to wonder if you're done enough, if you're good enough. Jesus opens the way to God, and it's not limited. Um, it's not to a limited number of people, but to all people. And the scripture that Leslie used here in the, in the uh, video clip is just one of so many that show the inclusiveness of Jesus' invitation. It's but to all people who believed in him. He gave the right to become children of God. And when Jesus says that he's the way, it's not exclusive, it's inclusive. Everyone is invited. And I, I really like this quote by Os Guinness. He says, there is only one way to God, that's through Jesus Christ. But there are as many ways to Jesus as there are people to come. That Jesus draws each person in his own unique way that fits them. And there's just as many ways to Jesus as there are people to come. Everyone is invited. Everyone is included in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And Jesus claims to be the way, and that way is open to everyone. <laughs> then the second truth is, uh, second claim is that Jesus is the truth and for us is going to come. Talk about that. Grab that.
2: And I'm going to tell you the truth, right? Oh, OK. Um, so what is truth? I mean, in this day and age with moral relativism, and is there any such thing as absolute truth? And I want to take you back to um, Jesus' time. I want to take you back to his conversation with Pontius Pilate. And the scripture is up here. Pilate says, "You're a king then." Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate's answer, what is true? true?" And you understand Pilate's situation here, right? He's the Roman procurator. Um, He was put there in place by the Roman government uh, to basically control and keep the peace. And those are two very difficult things in Jerusalem. Because the Bible says, you are a stiff-necked people. Uh, The Jewish people were pretty stubborn and pretty directed on their thing. And so to keep the peace, you've got to kind of satisfy the leaders of this religion. And Pilate was on a very, very precarious situation to please the Jews enough so that they wouldn't revolt and be all crazy. And to satisfy Rome that he was doing the right thing. So, Jesus' trial... It was weak. And Pilate knew how it was going to turn out. But as far as the truth, he had no illusion that we were coming to the truth. Because he said, I don't find him guilty. I mean, he hasn't done anything wrong. And they're ordering that he order him crucified. So he's in a very sticky place. And you can understand why he would say, what is truth? He would really like to know. So, um... You know the climate today, right? If you believe, prove it. Give me absolute, irrefutable proof. Or what's true for you is not true for me. So, is there such a thing as absolute truth? Objective truth. You can say this is the truth. Well, there are two main camps that have always believed that there is absolute truth. And I've talked about this before. Those two main camps are... Christianity and science. Did you know that throughout most of history, the most capable scientists were frequently the most devout Christians? And the most devout Christians were almost always the top scientists with all the major discoveries. Why is that? Well, they looked at the two parts. They looked at logic and reasoning and saying science can go this far by logically deducing deductive reasoning, by reasoning things out, but science will reach its limits. And once you want to go past that to those deeper questions, you can't get there by science. That boat has already landed, and you've still got to go across the country, so you're not going to be able to stay on that boat. You're going to have to get on the train to finish the journey. So these Christian scientists always believe that um, faith Supplemented logic You take logic as far as it will go God gave you that mind to use But when you get to the end Of that road You need to continue by using Intuition and faith Now what's intuition? You know it Without knowing how you know it Right? That's basically a God revelation to you God's giving you some knowledge That you wouldn't have had otherwise Um So, I want to get down to, sorry, my voice. I don't know if I yelled too much yesterday at the robotics competition. We were yelling at the computer because, you know, our grandson was in there. Um, The limits of science. Uh, For those of you that doubt that there are limits to science, there's a couple of things. The uncertainty principle in quantum physics, which basically says you get to a certain point, we can't know beyond that point. You can know the position of a quantum particle But if you know the position, you won't know its momentum. Or you can know the momentum, but if you know the momentum, you won't know the position. So what are you settling for? A little of this and a little of that, and it's close, but we don't really know. We can't prove it. And the incompleteness theorem in mathematics, which basically says logic, has its limits. You get to a certain point, and logic breaks down. And no, you can't prove it past that point. And science today, is going very deep in a lot of different areas. They're getting right near the bottom of everything. Every time they make a discovery, what do they discover? More questions. Okay, we got that. But now we got these 10 more questions. What do we do? Well, let's keep digging. And every answer they get generates even more questions. So they know less about more, more about less, I don't know. They're learning a lot, but they're finding that there's a lot more to learn. So, um, and the limits of the scientific method itself, you understand the scientific method, you do an experiment, you get a result. Anybody else should be able to do that same experiment and get a result. But if somebody does another experiment, they can prove that your experiment was faulty. Sorry, you had a theory, but it didn't work out. Albert Einstein, I got this quote from him. He basically said, no amount of experimentation can ever prove me right. One single experiment can prove me wrong. So that's the position that scientists are in. It's got to be an open door. You've got to allow for somebody continues to experiment and they can find out that, well, yeah, your theory was right, so far as we know. Or, sorry, your theory doesn't hold water. It, It doesn't work anymore. We proved it wrong. So that's some difficulties with science. So we all understand that that boat has a dock where it's going to land at, and it's not going to be able to go any farther than that. So where do we go when we get to the end of science, logical reasoning? We've got to step out in faith with the intuition that God's, that God's given us. Because we have more questions than just the physical, scientific questions, right? Right? We want to know, is there a God? What's God like? How did we get here? Why are we here? How should we live our lives? Are we going to be able to get there by science? Not really. You've got to have that intuition and faith. So we need to look at what God is telling us in addition to what we can know by logic. So I had a whole big thing here that I'm not going to read. I'm going to give you an analogy that I already talked to you. Dave, I'm ringing big time here. Turn me down. I'll turn me up. There. Okay. An analogy that I used last week, it was about the kid with the math problem. And they didn't get it, didn't get it, didn't get it. And then finally the light came on. So you're imagining this classroom of, of math students, and they're all struggling with this, this big problem their teacher's giving them because they want to see when they're going to break down. And everybody's struggling away, and they're, they're writing, and they're calculating. Ever been there? And you fill up a whole page with calculations, and you're still not sure. I don't know. I know this, but I can't prove that. And, I can't, and you just can't figure it out. But one kid, bingo, the light comes on. Did they work harder than everybody else? Not necessarily. Were they smarter than everybody else? Not necessarily. But what happened in an instant? All of a sudden, they became clear. They got it. How did they get it? What would they say? How did you figure that out? I don't know. I just got it. It just all of a sudden made sense. Are they sure it's right when they've had the aha moment? Yes, they're sure it's right. What about the kids that are struggling with page after page of calculations and they're writing and they're writing? How sure are they that they're right when they get to the end? I don't know. I filled up six pages with it, and I think maybe I don't know, right? So with that intuition, that aha moment, when God reveals to us, we can know with the certainty that's greater than all of the logic and the reasoning and the figuring it all out would ever be able to give us. I've seen on tests uh, where kids, multiplication tables, they're sixth graders and they still sometimes don't know them. I've seen kids, that they're allowed to use scrap paper, and they're doing seven times eight. 56, okay? And they're doing mark, 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 mark. There's eight. Mark, 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 mark. There's another eight. And they go seven rows of eight marks, and then they count the marks. Because they're trying to figure it out logically. They haven't had the, aha. Why is seven times 8, 56? Because that's what it is, okay? Do you have to recalculate that every time? Some kids are really smart, though. They don't do all those marks. They do 7, 7, 7, 7, 7, 7, 7. They get eight sevens, and And they add. 7 plus 7 is 14. Plus 7 is 21. Plus 7. And they, they count them all up. Other kids, they just know it's 56. How do you know that? I just know that because that's what it is. You know, you just know it. So that's not a perfect analogy, but do you get the idea of... That revelation from God can make us sure in a way that we can't be sure by figuring out for ourselves. We just know. And are we right? We are absolutely certain we're right. Can you prove it to somebody else who doubts? Mm, Maybe not. Does that mean it's not true? No. I know it. I can't prove it to you if you don't think it's right, but I just know it. Raise them up, ladies and gentlemen. How many of you have had that experience with God that you just know it? You don't know how it happened or what happened, but you just know it, okay? Something happened. There was a change. All right. So, we haven't got to Jesus yet, but we're getting there. So, We need to go, if we want to have that absolute certainty beyond reason and logic, we have to have a revelation. God's got to give us that information, right? He's got to pour that into us. So how would God reveal the truth about himself to all of humanity? Well, he would have to give us a message that we would be able to understand. All humanity over all of time. Um, How's he going to do that? A message to everyone. What if he sent a messenger to come here and give that message so that everyone would be able to receive that message? Would that work? You want to give a message, so you send a messenger to tell the people your message. Okay. We have some Bible verses. I'm not going to read them out loud. Well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. And Emmanuel means God is with us. And our next one, Chris. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Next one. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact rep- representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Okay, next one, Chris. I think there's the last one. And this is the message. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So, We've got Old Testament prophecies, we've got disciples, we've got later followers that all agree Jesus is God, the exact representation of God, God in the flesh, come down to earth to give us God's message. Um, have I got all those scriptures, Chris? Okay. So, um, God, uh, the Bible says that God sent this messenger, and he, who knows exactly what God intends for us he can reveal what's God is what God is like because he is God and here's Jesus claims in his own words in John 14 6 Jesus told him I am the way the truth and the life no one can come to the father except through me you've seen that before multiple times Jesus also said in John 1410 he who has seen me has seen the father you see me you see him and he also said in John 10.30, The Father and I are one. We're the same. I in him and he in me. Um, and then, you remember John the Baptist? And he was wondering about Jesus as the Messiah. Are you the one that was sent? And so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, So, is it you? Are you the Messiah that we've been counting on, that the prophets had said all through our history? And... Are you the one that is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. So here's the evidence. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleaned. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So this is Jesus telling John's disciples here, go back and tell John. Here's the the evidence. Here's the proof. Is this the stuff that God would want to have done? Am I acting just exactly like you would expect God to act? Am I doing the things that God says you should do? Yes. So, Jesus is giving that evidence of who he is. So, is Jesus the truth? Well, if God is true, and we can know that beyond logic and reason because he's revealed himself to us in many ways, I love it at prayer time on Wednesday. Dave always leads off the prayers because he sits next to Peggy on the left. And he always starts with, God, thank you for this day and the beauties of creation. I don't care what the day is like. You can have a blizzard. And Dave is thanking God for, for our world and everything about it. And the trees and the plants and the animals and the seasons and the weather and the sunshine. Why is that? Because God reveals Himself in that way to Dave. Dave is an outdoor person. He loves nature. I'm the same way. And God reveals Himself in that way. Some of us were reading in a book, and God just practically out loud speaks to us in the words that we read. He's got so many ways that He reveals Himself to us. Um, if God is who we know Him to be, then Jesus is God's ultimate revelation of his character and his nature, and his plan for our lives. Jesus was revealed ahead of time by the prophets, was attested to by his followers, was validated by his miracles, and proved by his own words. If God is true, then Jesus is the truth.
1: That's the truth. I can't read it that far yeah, I, I like what um, Lee Strobel said in the movie too. I don't know everything, but I know enough. And sometimes you you just have to get to that point. So the final claim that Jesus is making is he speaks to his disciples when he says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life." He's saying I, that I am life, and and this is why Jesus came. This was the goal. Uh, for him coming to earth, it he, he says in John 10.10, 10, a thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. He's referring to the enemy. He says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Uh, the NIV says abundant life. And the life that Jesus offers goes on and on. It's eternal, but it's a new and different kind of life right now. Uh, in other words, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can find life that, uh, that we all long for. And knowing Jesus is life-changing, and that change is one of the greatest proofs that Jesus was raised to life and that he gives new life to his followers today. That's some of the greatest evidence is what you see happen in people's lives after they give it, their life to Jesus Christ. And um, we can see this, what it looked like in Lee Strobel's life. We've got a little interview that he did with Matt Brown, so we're going to watch a video clip of that.
3: And and your wife, Leslie, became a Christian before you. That's that's what led you down this path of investigating in the first place is you know the the relationship that's most important to your marriage yeah uh so what what began to change in her life that made you start investigating and then for you you know what what did you see change in those coming days and weeks did yeah. you see a difference cuz you know we know Christians aren't perfect sure We're, you know Christians are far from perfect uh, I say that as a Christian myself yeah uh but but there's clearly a difference in your life yeah and, and you see that all over the world yeah. with people who come to faith in Christ. So what right. was it for you? What right. did you see? Well, you're right about my wife's role in all this. In fact, in the movie The Case for Christ, you really get not just the, the evidential side, but it's really a love story. Uh, and it's a, there's other aspects of the story. It's a father-son story. It's a, a crime story. It's a newspaper story. And uh, it is a spiritual journey as well. Uh, so it's about the heart as well as the head. Uh, and it was really the heart of our relationship. You know, we met when we were 14 years old. So we were childhood sweethearts. We got married young. I was 20. She was 19. At our wedding, we couldn't even drink champagne. We had to drink milk because we were too young to drink the champagne. So um, <laughs> we, uh, we've known each other our whole lives. And I've always pictured Leslie as a beautiful rose, uh, but a rose that, that in retrospect was closed. But roses are still very pretty that way. It's a very, very pretty flower, even when the petals are closed. But after she came to faith, it was like there was a blossoming, and the flower opens up, and you begin to see, wow, there's a whole other dimension to this flower. It's so much prettier. And um, that was what happened with her. As she came to faith, and I began to see her values and her character uh, more aligned with Jesus uh, than self-interest. Um, it was winsome and it was attractive, the way she loved me and the kids, the way she, instead of freezing me out after an argument, that she would reach out to me and, mm-hmm. and, and attempt to reconcile and so forth. So there were these little things that told me that something is happening positively in her life. She says it's God. I don't believe in God, so I better, either, I better figure this out. Mm-hmm. And that was a big motive in checking things out. And then my life, as you say, you know, began to change after I came to faith, not overnight, but over time, as my values and character and morality were um, being changed by God. Um, you know, it, and sometimes it's hard to articulate the ways in which it's changed because you didn't know me back then. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you didn't know me when I was literally winning awards for investigative reporting, but on Saturday night was drunk in the snow in an alley. Wow. So, you know, how do you explain the difference? And the way I usually do it is through my daughter. My daughter, Allison, was five years old when I came to faith. All she knew that first five years of her life was a dad who was absent, Mm -hmm. angry, um, coming home drunk, kicking holes in the wall, out of frustration and anger. Uh, that's all she knew. But starting on that Sunday when I put my trust in Christ, over time she, sta- she started to watch. Something was different with Dad. Hmm. Something's changing with Dad. Something's better with Dad. And, sh- and she watched and she listened. And it took about four or five months. And then finally one Sunday she came up first to her Sunday school teacher and then up to Leslie, and she said, I want God to do for me what he's done for daddy. Hmm. And so at age five, she became a follower of Jesus, received this free gift of his grace. And now she's 40 years old and the mother of two of our grandchildren, married to a seminary graduate. She's a novelist. She writes fiction that always has the message of Jesus embedded in it. Um, She's taught at Christian schools and we're now the best of friends. And same with my son, who came to faith at a young age but took an academic route. Now he's got a Ph.D. in theology from the University of Aberdeen in Scotland, and he's a professor of theology at, at Biola University, one of the largest Christian universities in America. So God has really changed our family. Uh, and now I look at our grandchildren, and my 10-year-old granddaughter, Abigail, just went on her first missions trip, and she led another little girl to faith in Jesus Mom. on that trip. So here you have a family that whose whole orientation has been changed, and now rippling down through the generations. And you think back and say, "What would have happened had we not found Christ?" I don't like to think that way. I don't like to look down that path because it would not have been a pretty path. But now I can say that with Christ in our lives, you know, I, I see a future. I see a family that loves each other, that cheers for each other, that uh, prays for each other, and so. So God really has impacted not just us, but next generations as well. Wow, that's so cool. You can fill
1: that to black. (laughs) And, And, you know, that's just one of millions of stories about changed life through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we live our lives as Jesus enables us to live then we'll have stories like that too and uh, i would just want to kind of skip some stuff here and and, uh, go right to the point of this piece is that jesus changes lives and when you put your faith in jesus christ it makes all the difference it not just for your life but for your children your children's children and and then as they touch the lives of others, as you saw this child going out as a missionary to change the life of another child, the ripple effect is just huge. And if you've never taken that step, I just want to lead you really quickly through the four uh three scriptures that are there in your message notes. It's called the Roman Road. And um these are some Bible verses that you might want to underline in your Bible. Um, not in the one in the pew, but <laughs> in your own. take your message notes home. The first verse is Romans 3:23For everyone 's sin, we all fall short of god 's glorious standard, and i don 't think we need to say much about that, right? I mean, even if you can measure the distance between you and a and serial killer, you 're just not going to reach the standard of God, that we are all in need of a savior. And that's obvious when we read the next verse in Romans six twenty three. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The wages for our sin in our life, all the times that we've fallen short, is death. We, we need a Savior. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And, and so God is offering us this free gift of forgiveness and life. Uh, it was already paid for on the cross. And then that brings us to the third step. That's Romans ten thirteen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, like any gift, um, the gift of God comes to us through the grace, but we, uh, but we have to receive it. And so believe, receive, become. And the receive part is that uh, calling out to God and calling on his name. And that's how we receive salvation. And what we saw was that Lee Strobel uh, took that step, and when he did that, his life was changed, and so can yours. Uh, So I I want to just invite you, if you have never received the life that Jesus came to offer, to to just pray with me right now. Let's pray. And you can pray this silently, and God will hear you. Lord Jesus, I confess uh, the obvious. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And right now I turn away from old patterns to receive the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you for dying for my sins, so that I can know you and live forever with you. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit and begin leading my life, because from this moment on, I am yours. Amen.